Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Through the Frame. I'm your host, Jesse Carosi, and this podcast has been brought to you by the HPA. For those that are not familiar with the HPA, please check us out online at hpaonline.com. The HPA Net Committee has a lot of great virtual content coming out, so please be sure to check out what's new on our website. For anyone tuning in for the first time, that are also not familiar with who the HPA is, they're a non-profit member association that connects businesses and individuals. And if you want a more in-depth verbal breakdown of who they are, or who I am for that matter, check out episode one of this podcast series so I don't make everyone listen to a long-winded intro on every episode. <laughs> All right, so here with us today to talk about virtual video village, remote collaboration, and immediates, which seems to be a pressing topic of today that were used also on the feature film The Meg, is Mike Urban. And so Mike is the managing director at The Rebel Fleet in New Zealand and has worked on some awesome projects such as Disney's soon-to-be-released Mulan, Ghost in a Shell, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and of course, The Meg. So welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. All right, so before we get into some of these processes that I talked about and the mag, I guess I'd be curious because I always like to ask on every job, what camera was used? It was the Alexa Mini. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was the Alexa Mini and a, and a little bit of standard Alexa for some off-speed. I see. And was that Airy-Raw or more of a ProRes Yeah, Airy-Raw. No, Airy-Raw. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and this was a little while ago, but... You know, for anyone that's tuning in and you got an airy raw job coming up, I definitely investigate the high density encoding option. It's something that Codex came out with last at the last, not this previous virtual NAB, but the NAB before that. And it can cut down the file sizes quite a bit. It's uh, like 40%, maybe even more if it's a green screenshot or something. But that came out after the Meg. Yeah, exactly. And and I agree that HDE, we've been using it since it came out and since it's you know had wide acceptance and it's it's amazing. It really helps. It's even even less data than uh, ProRes 444XQ in, uh, in the same resolution. Yeah, it's amazing because it's funny. I used to always have conversations with people at the top of the job where DPs would say, I want to use Airy Raw. And then the studio says, ah, it's too big. Let's go ProRes 444. And XQ was yeah. always that meet in the middle, but it's not really a conversation anymore. Nah, no, no, no. It's easy. The only the only downside is sometimes some systems dealing with the frame sequence uh, is more difficult than dealing with a one complete file per clip. But, you know, yeah, there's ways sure. around that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, so as I understand it, there was a pretty interesting workflow in place for allowing various units or remote people in general to collaborate or communicate. So did you want to get into the video assist work on the Meg? Sure. So we use QTech as our video assist software and build our own hardware around those systems in order to operate it on set. And so for that job, we had main unit and then a part-time second unit, which pretty much lived on the water the whole time. They shot a bunch of stuff out in the Hauraki Gulf, which is, if anybody's familiar with Auckland and New Zealand, it lives on a on a harbour, the city does, and um, it's quite a diverse and large harbour. And so we had a few spots that we shot in pretty regularly, and that doubled for China. I see. And for those water scenes, it was just right there within the harbour. It wasn't like you went really far out. No, it was just right there. So, some stuff they went far out, but most of it, it was relatively close. Interesting. 
and they actually built two tanks out at uh, one of our studios. So we had an ocean surface tank and a underwater tank, which is about five meters deep, a circular mm. underwater tank. So second unit spent a lot of time on the water or around the water the whole time. So what we were able to do is connect those two QTAC systems up using QTAC server. And that meant that the QTAC systems were sharing the clips as they were being recorded by the QTAC server system. And actually, second unit from memory shot a fair amount at night. So what that meant is that the server, we had a basically a main unit QTAC and a second unit QTAC. And then they had the server which sat in the middle. And the server would receive all of the footage from wherever, whichever QTAC was connected. And so what that meant mm. when the second unit QTAC was turned off, then the main unit QTAC turns on in the morning and receives all of that data that's been recorded from second unit overnight. So you don't have to have two QTAC systems turned on at the same time in order to, for the media to be shared. Oh, wow. And would it matter where that server is? Did it have to be in a certain proximity to where the main and second unit QTAC carts were? Or was that at your nope. facility? Uh, so normally we do that. We set it up with the IT department of the studio that we're working with, and we normally house it out at whichever studio they're based at. So then they put their firewall around it and satisfy their IT requirements. Hmm. So then for that instance, it would have been out at the studio. And then we've done it, you know, in various places around the world, connecting units together. And it's just a latency thing. It doesn't matter so much where it is. Interesting. And so then at that point, like you said, one unit has access to the other unit's media and can play it back just as if it was local on their system, because technically it is now local, right? Because the one unit shot they recorded on the QTAC, it captured an H264, that goes to the server, then gets synced over to the other computer, and now it's it's actually local on that other QTAC system, right? That's right, yeah. So the only difference between the, the media, so that if you, so the main unit records from the camera, then it records a ProRes file, so usually ProRes proxy or LT, and then it also records an H264 file, which is used to share between the other QTACs and also into Moxian. Mm -hmm. And then if your other QTAC receives media from a different unit, it's playing back the H.264. So that's the only real difference. I see. And usually the, the H.264 is slightly lower resolution and lower bit rate. So the quality is not exactly the same, but it's, you know, it's pretty amazing to be able to see something that was shot on second unit and play it back on main unit within about a minute of it being shot. Yeah, interesting. And, and for anyone tuning in that works on a lot of TV shows and you're not used to seeing QTAKs on set, We've seen a few reports come out that they'll start getting used and requested a, a lot more now that we're in a, a world where virtual video village is being requested on a lot of jobs. And, you know, I, I work on a lot of TV and I don't often see video assists on those jobs. It's, it's a little more common on the feature films, but I think we'll start seeing those a lot more on TV now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty it's pretty common here in New Zealand. Um, oh, really? On even on, even on TV, TV shows? Yeah. Yeah. And when we do you know, American TV shows. Sometimes it's a bit confusing for the DP and the director, but then they love it. Obviously, it's something that they yeah. would like to have. So Definitely. they're into it. Yeah, it's pretty common here. I see. And so to be able to do this, you need internet. So I'm curious how you got that working in these situations, because somehow that H.264 from main unit as well as second unit needs to somehow sync with the centralized server. That's right. So normally what we'd do in those situations is partner ourselves up with the IT department of the production, because if they're going to be providing, in theory, they're going to be providing internet for unit base and the producers to be able to stay in touch with each other and all those kinds of things. So 
we piggyback off the back of that. And usually they carve off a certain amount of internet for us and or a certain amount of bandwidth for us. And then hmm. instead of us setting up antennas and them setting up antennas, it just makes sense that we do it once. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier. I ran a test the other day because we're looking into this similar kind of thing. And there's a company called First Mile and they uh-huh. allow the ability to bond cellular networks together to create an internet hotspot essentially on set and they had this they have this thing called an engo and the idea is you could plug in this thing the size of a backpack into the camera through SDI and then that sends it to their data center which then could sync mm-hmm. to a Qtake that could be anywhere so let's say the Qtake could sit in someone's home that's yep. connected to the internet now the Qtake operator doesn't have to be anywhere like it, they don't mm-hmm. have to be on set i guess is my point and then at that point though you know that was providing that internet in that situation but it's expensive you know that you have to pay for yeah. the rental of the engo system and then you also have to pay the data rates to be able to use their infrastructure to and the cellular networks to be able to transfer that data mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that that we've been dealing quite a bit with that sort of stuff too, and have partnered with some guys here who are doing a great job. But it's not just plug and play either. Even in some locations around Auckland, one one we were at the other day, which was right on a beach, really beautiful spot, you know, really residential, and um, just could not get a good signal, you know. And you think that it's going to be all right. So it's it's difficult when toying with those situations. You really need someone who knows how to manage it and it's easy to market it as a plug and play device but in our experience you got to be careful interesting so you actually did you actually have in on the jobs that you've used something like that did you have a representative from their company on set every day to make sure that that was stable and functional or were they just on call yeah so in that instance they were on call because we thought that we were going to be all right and that was sort of a bit of a learning curve um, just because of the location and you can see cell phone coverage, you know, maps and stuff when you look them up and thought, okay, that would be all right, but didn't necessarily, it was quickly remedied, but it was a bit of a learn. And then other locations, obviously, which are much more difficult, then you have to have someone there. But, you know, when you're, when you're connecting people the other side of the world who are relying on that connection and their opinion to be expressed remotely, then it's an easy sell to have a technician there. I see. To make sure that happens. Yeah, I feel like there's a few people that have also brought up other solutions that may be a little bit more plug and play and and not as big and hefty as something like a Qtake cart. Like I believe Moxion has has created this thing called a Mox box. Are you familiar with that? A, a little bit, because I obviously am friends with you, and mm-hmm. so we we chat. I haven't dived into it too much. I see. Yeah, the, it's it's interesting. I think for a lot of people out there, it, it could potentially be a solution for many jobs where the idea is it's a for you rackable box that you can plug a couple SDI cables into. You send your live feed into it. They've worked with the Qtake team to then allow Qtake cloud streaming. So if you want to watch the feed live, you would go through the Qtake cloud app but then it also creates H.264's live, and then that gets put into Moxion, and people could watch immediates, which I guess we can get into in a second. But even in that scenario, I think you had a really interesting point about someone needing to be there because at that point you still should have, what is it, a streaming technician maybe we'll, we'll call it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm always a little bit fearful and maybe someone who's half my age will prove me wrong one day. But having computers be left to their own devices consistently, I just haven't seen it work, you know, 100% of the time. And that's my fear with all of that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. technology in general. You know, generally speaking, we need someone there. Yeah. And someone who knows and someone who can fault find. And it's not saying that it can't be done. And it's not saying that someone who you don't need a really, really experienced technician, for instance, but... You just need someone who knows how to operate it and knows how to fault find. Um, yeah, for sure. So, you know, in, the, in that instance, not being super familiar with the Moxbox, but you could easily have someone, I see you could have someone as a technician who manages the internet and that box, and that would probably be enough for them to do, you know, justifying them being there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so on the Meg, were people watching remotely in any way where, you know, I've, I've seen some people on commercials actually already here in Toronto and you could take the QTake stream, you could essentially share your screen with a Zoom call and people could therefore connect via Zoom and, and watch on their iPad or on their laptop or anything. And then there's obviously the QTake cloud solution. I'm curious, was anything like that used for a live stream from these units on the Meg? No, it wasn't in that instance because it's going back a little while and that it sort mm. of wasn't very in, in very high demand at the time. And it wasn't something that we were offering up. I assume you could do it within QTech, but I know that the QTech cloud stuff has really changed a lot in the last sort of six months and mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit before that. So we didn't offer it up. And actually that talking about bandwidth and talking about immediates is one of the interesting things about that workflow is that you're only sending the clips that have been recorded by the camera. So the camera might be set up for an hour on that particular shot but they might only shoot for say four takes or something like that and those four takes are three minutes each so you've actually only got 12 minutes of media over an hour and 12 minutes Mm. of media and h264 at 720 is pretty low bitrate and so what happens is those files can just trickle up so you're not consistently hitting that internet and consistently requiring that exact bandwidth doesn't need to be real time yeah Which on that note, let's introduce what you're talking about, because I don't think we've quite introduced the idea of what immediates are for anyone that's not familiar with that. So how exactly was that working? Yeah, so immediates is a product from Moxion, which is a dailies, uh, online dailies platform. And it's Moxion, not Motion. For everyone confused, it used to be Motion. (laughs) People started pronouncing it moxion so they said you know what let's just change it everybody's calling it moxion over in north america i'm yeah. pretty sure so then they were just so it is moxion because i've heard everyone i talk to says it different now we're clear yeah yeah exactly i, I always hassle them and say it's just a marketing ploy for more of these types of conversations <laughs> but um yeah so it's an, they basically the immediates provides an integration directly into qtech server so that means that you can associate actually multiple projects into QTech server. So multiple Moxian projects into QTech server. So what that means is that as soon as a clip gets recorded and the H.264 is created, it gets uploaded to uh, QTech server. And then through the integration, it checks out the filters and says, yep, this is one that I want to want to upload and uploads those files directly into the Moxian project. So then once in there, it's anybody who gets given access can get a notification effectively that there's a new clip and start watching the the recorded media. So if you've got the auto trigger happening from the camera going into QTech, the QTech starts recording at exactly the same time as the as the well, roughly exactly the same time as the camera, 
and then you're seeing what was actually shot by the camera instead of all of the stuff around what was happening. And through that system also, you can write a whole lot of rules. So you can have one project which has maybe got a wider distribution that only has the director's selects in it. So you might have one that has 30 or 40 people in it and the director only wants to send what they want. And then you can have one with maybe a smaller group that has everything go up to it except for the rehearsal, so only the recorded media. And then you could even go into finer detail, say I only want one project with the A camera or the B camera, or hmm. however you want, and you can associate multiple projects to that. And, and one of the benefits of that also is that, generally speaking, the QTAC server is in a place with good and reliable internet. So if you're sending the same clip to multiple projects, a gigabit of internet or, or even less, it doesn't doesn't require a whole lot, doesn't really matter so much. So you're only sending one copy from set and then it multiplies out from that and goes into Moxian. And like you said, it's not a feed of everything. It's just what they record. And if it takes maybe a couple minutes to get up there, no one's, well, <laughs> no one's complaining until yeah. they get used to this and they're like, what's going on? I thought you finished <laughs> rolling a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So I think the idea is around, around 90 seconds is the thought process, but obviously it depends mm -hmm. on how long the clip is and how good the internet is and how many cameras you're recording at once because if you're recording four cameras um, obviously it's got four clips to send at once and stuff like that but the good thing is that you can see all of that stuff within QTAC server where it's got the copies where it's sending them to a progress bar on the upload and all those kinds of things. That's nice. Yeah, I feel like for anyone that doesn't know, it's really kind of like a Pix, a DAX. It's a daily streaming service, but they've got more roots in the front end of production that gives them an advantage over a lot of their competition. And it feels like they're starting to really gain a lot of momentum now in North America because of COVID and their immediates. And the other thing is the fact that they can do HDR reviews is also been something that's made a lot of clients reach out to me asking about them. But you guys have been using them mm. for a while, considering you're in New Zealand. They're from New Zealand, right? Yeah, exactly. So Hugh and I go way back, and um, he's—I can't remember exactly when they started. It feels like a while ago, definitely more than five years ago. And we did our first immediates job, which was sort of a test case, which was Ash versus Evil Dead season two for Stars. It was funny because I was on a job in Wellington, and Hugh rang and he said, "I've just—I've just got this idea, and we're gonna—we're gonna try it out." And he told me, and I thought, man, that's that's a, that's amazing. <laughs> like he must have been sitting on it for a while and not telling anybody. But it was, um, I was really impressed, and it's it's awesome. I've seen it do wonderful things, and you know, there's a whole lot of collaborators and stakeholders and people who deserve to see what's being shot. I think one of the best ways to look at it is if you could walk onto the set, so you're not necessarily an investor who who just what you know putting in money and will get shown the final product but if you could walk onto the set but you can't be there right now so you're a wardrobe stylist or you're someone who manages vfx across multiple units or something like that then just being able to keep in touch and be a part of what's going on is is really helpful because the other part of it is that you get all the metadata as well so you don't just get the clip and then you have no idea what it's referenced to. You get the name of the clip from the camera and then also you get the scene and take information and any other metadata that you're being able to put into QTAC or QTAC's already receiving from the camera or the QTAC operator or anybody else um, I see. automatically gets sent into Moxian as well. Wow. And considering people were getting these immediately, I assume you were still making traditional dailies after this, right? Yeah. So on that project, we... 
the Rebel Fleet just did the data wrangling. So we okay. managed all the data on set and then we handed it over to a post house in Auckland. And then they created all the dailies and handed it over to Editorial. I think Editorial were based at that point. Yeah, they were based at the post house for the time of the shoot. And then they must have gone back to North America. It's that. interesting. You hear, you know, Michael Cioni's been talking a lot at Frame.io about the idea of NLEs editing applications, what if they could work natively with H.264s with the same efficiency they do with, you know, as an example, Avid at DNX 36 or 115s, mm. if the file names and the time code could actually match the camera masters. it It's interesting. You know, you'd have to definitely get DPs to agree that they're just going to deal with the color with whatever the live feed was. That's a thing. But, you know, assuming that everyone is okay with that and I guess you don't have sound metadata though. No, 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 no sound metadata. And normally you have the surround from the camera, which, you know, so typical video assist feed with the record mm -hmm. and color temperature and clip name and stuff like that, which is actually really useful if all else fails and you just need to know what lens it was or what color temperature it was or whatever, you know, in an onset environment, that's a tool that's really useful as well. You can pull up Moxie and if, something happens, a video assist is not there yet, or you need to check something in the evening and you need to know what you're doing for the next day, you can just pull that up and, and physically see on the picture yeah, that's great. that that's what it was, you know. And so editing with that is kind of not really ideal, especially if you're doing a 239 mask or something, you're going to have to resize it and stuff like that. Not saying that it's impossible, but it's it's just another sort of factor. That's a good point, though. There might also just be reframing in general, sometimes... You know, they, they may be watching on set with the full frame, but then you need to do a, a punch in or something after the fact Yeah, for dailies. I, th I think that there's definitely a world in which there's a traditional NLE workflow because realistically, you know, even being in New Zealand and we deal a lot with jobs that, that cut in LA and they, when they wake up in the morning, the files are there. So it's not like it's, it's days and days and weeks and weeks, but I think there's definitely a yeah. world in which... You can pull down something that you know needs to slot into that sequence and technically it's not going to be perfect but it's one or two shots that you can drop in manually the next day when you receive those when you receive those files but at least you can give feedback to the director and you can see that that hand is going to come in from the right side of frame or whatever it is that you need to check and so i think that that's a real benefit yeah for sure and so with all of this in mind, all the things that we've talked about with the idea of people now being able to monitor remotely, maybe you don't necessarily always need the certain amount of uh, people standing around monitors on set. They could be a little bit more remote, even if it's just separating people on set. Has this had you guys rethink how you're building out any of your Q takes and how you're offering this service or has this kind of been over the past six months is this normal operation at that point for you I mean it's definitely become a topic of conversation that's for sure as to mm -hmm. how we deal with people working remotely and at the moment the restrictions of coming into New Zealand is basically you have to be a New Zealander so people want to sh we can shoot but we we can't have people come in and if they do come in they have to quarantine so if doing for a commercial for instance there's no point in quarantining for two weeks and shooting for three days and then going home again so we've been doing a lot of remote uh, directing and even remote dop with a remote dop and then a proxy dop in new zealand and then communicating together and and the streaming functionality and you know that's another one of the benefits of qtake is that's effectively built in the system uh it's an extra licensing cost but um 
it's basically a button. You just turn it on, invite the people, and then you're streaming across the cloud. And you know, there's a bit of a setup, but it's it's all pretty straightforward. So, and that's specifically the QTake cloud solution that you're speaking of. Yeah, it's specifically the the streaming function within yeah, that. So okay. there's so there's sort of two parts to it. One is the is the streaming, which is always as long as stream turned on, streams turned on, you're sending out a live picture. So if they're not shooting, if the camera's pointed at the ground, whatever, that's that's being streamed into the application and you can watch that live. And then through Moxie Intermediates, you can have access to those clips once the camera has been recorded and that's been uploaded. So I think there's a I, I can see a world in which there's there's need for both and there's benefit of being able, you know, they go and shift locations you're working remotely and you want to see that what you shot before is going to work or even we've even had jobs where the editor is downloading those files and at least just getting an idea of what's coming and then um, waiting for the actual rushes to show up. I see. And I understand Teradek has some solutions in place for this kind of work. I'm just curious if you ever worked with any of those or has it been mainly QTake? It's mostly QTake for us because we're already using it on set. We have messed around with the cube. And I understand, mm-hmm. I know friends of mine have used that, you know, to great success and it works really well, but it's not something that we've, because we've already got the QTake there, it's an additional cost for the hardware sure. and the software for our clients. So, whereas they're already paying for the QTake hardware, so it makes sense to just bolt on the, the streaming part of it. Yeah. So in regards to the different QTakes that we're sending the essentially the feedback to that centralized server, you needed internet. You said that you hooked into the production supplied internet. But what about, I mean, there was a lot of footage that looked like it was recorded, like you said, on the harbor out out, out, out on sea. How did you deal with that about getting internet in, in those locations when you wouldn't have had the production able to set up internet for you? Yeah, so um, in that scenario, being a harbour, just the physical location and and how it's, you know, the topography of it, um, we actually got quite good cell phone coverage generally in the harbour and where we were shooting. So it actually wasn't that difficult to receive an internet connection out there and then basically, you know, through some sort of off-the-shelf hardware, turning that into a Wi-Fi signal or or an Ethernet connection into the boat. And um, so that... that, Off-the-shelf hardware? Yeah, yeah. Huh, yeah, you know, okay. t- t- turning a turning a three or four G connection into a Wi Fi is is not you know a SIM card into a Wi into a Wi Fi connection is not that difficult with a sure. with a router okay. or something. So I, I mean that was handled by their IT team. They made it look easy. So we just plugged into it and and it, and it worked. And they knew going into the job that no matter where we go, we hope that you can help us provide internet wherever we are, and therefore. It wasn't like you said, hey, next week we're in this location and what are we going to do? They knew, was this a conversation at the very top during pre-production that we would like to provide this remote capability and to do so we need internet and they were just on it? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. And that's one of the benefits of, Hmm. instead of live streaming, that's one of the benefits of having the clips upload is that you might shoot 99% of your locations are relatively easy internet access, but there's that one location that's going to cost the production $20,000 to bounce some stuff over a hill or pre-pan some satellite time or whatever. And they just say, hey, we're not going to spend the money. If you want to have a mox mm-hmm. in, we'll get it to you afterwards. So you've already got, as you're shooting throughout that day, then you've got those clips building up. You can take the QTAC back to cell phone reception or take it home or take it back to the studio or do whatever you need to do. Basically just turn it on and it will start uploading those files. So 
it's always a conversation it's always an understanding and if there's a location that we know is going to be difficult then they'll they'll sort it out i suppose one of the beauties of it is that modern day filmmaking is that it's not only us that require an internet connection you know the second ad needs to get the call sheet out the producer needs to be able to talk to whoever someone needs to organize catering you know all that kind of stuff so generally speaking you know Mm -hmm. even in the places when we've shot in really remote part remote parts of new zealand and other places in the world there's an internet connection one way or another and being h264 it's relatively low bandwidth i think the the rough guideline is is about if a two camera shoot shooting sort of three hours a day of media is is about two gigs of um h264 traffic Mm -hmm. so and that's over you know a 10 hour 12 hour day so it's not it's not ridiculous yeah i guess it changes things when you want to go live so yeah exactly yeah yeah Interesting. it's about four it's a and then if you want to do both <laughs> yeah no exactly yeah 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 mm. yeah we had we had an interesting mm. instance on um on the meg where we had a, a boat that we were shooting you know like a picture boat a crew boat that had the cameras on it and then we had another boat which had the producers on it and just the nature <laughs> of the way that we were shooting we couldn't have the producers anywhere near the other boats because they were pretty much shooting 360 and they didn't want to have to say, hey, move that boat and, you know, it's going to waste time. So they said, you have to go over the horizon, but we needed to be able to get them a picture. So we looked at, you know, a microwave link back to the land and then that sending back to the boat or looked at a few different options. And it was actually the producer who said, hey, you know, we've got this amazing tool and in, in immediates, why don't we use it and, and plug it in on the boat? So we had this, you know, sort of like a pleasure launch charter boat and it, it built into it was a 42 inch flat screen. So we just got the IT department to supply that boat with internet, plugged in a MacBook Pro for the day or, you know, any laptop, logged into Moxian, made Moxian go full screen output on the, um, on the screen and set up notifications so that whenever a clip came through, it would just do a ping sound. And then as the clips... Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, as the clips were coming in... You hear ping and the clip would play back and then the second, you know, that would be the A camera and then the B camera would play back and they would watch it and they radio through and said, yeah, that's great or nod or whatever it was. Wow. And it was fast enough that they would wait to roll the next take until the producers on the boat had yeah. that H264 then upload into Moxion. They saw it, then they'd roll the next take after feedback. or Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, generally speaking yeah shooting on boats doesn't happen very okay. fast so you know by the time they're ready to roll again five minutes have passed by that time they've already watched it and then the beauty of it is that on the boat they can they manage their own playback as well they can go back and have a look and huh. you know so um they can drive moxie in there so that that worked really well and that was a fraction of the cost of getting a microwave link and hiring a couple of technicians and it not working properly and you know all those kinds of things so um that was a really a really easy and uh, great solution. So yeah, it worked really well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> that was the highlight of this for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good anecdote. Yes. It's a good anecdote. And you were doing that in 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So our first immediate's job was February 2016, and then that wrapped <laughs> in the middle of the year, and then we did the Meg. Credit to Barry Osborne, the producer. He's done the Lord of the Rings and worked on Apocalypse Now and The Matrix and Face Off and done a lot of movies. He's an American guy, but he, he shoots a lot in New Zealand and Australia. And he's he's really forward thinking with the technology. And when we showed him what we were able to do with the video assist and connecting with, with Moxie, and he, he jumped on board and was really, you know, it helped make it happen. He was amazing. 
Very cool. Well, it sounds like you guys are really leading the path. 2016, that was uh, a long time ago, considering so many people here are just entering this conversation here in North America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it goes further as well in regards to now we're, we're diving into metadata and being able to, working out ways and able to bring all of the metadata together and provide that into our dailies workflow. And then that, that travels into, um, into editorial. Yeah. Which, which I'd love to talk to about more, but I have to wait for a couple more things to get released before we, <laughs> before we get into that. All good. Yeah. This is the world we live in. Uh, yeah. Working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. No worries. Thanks for having me. And thanks to the HPA as well. I, I, was, I managed to get there in 2019 and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a great community and um, wasn't able to make it this year, but hope to be, be back in the future. Thanks for having me. Awesome. No problem. And thank you to everyone else tuning in with virtual video villages becoming a hot topic while everyone wants to fire production back up. Hopefully this has been a little informative. And stay tuned for our next episode, which is going to focus on how the team at Keep Me Posted is remastering old 90s television shows, utilizing machine learning, AI, as well as artistic skills to overcome the fact that these shows were originally shot on film. There's no EDL, there's no metadata to fall back and just run a, a simple reconform on it. So it's, it's really interesting. So we're seeing a lot more of these old TV shows popping up on Netflix, etc. So we'll get into just how they're making that happen. And until then, that's a wrap. <laughs>